lifepodcasts.fm. This podcast is a Prime Media Broadcasting production. People are reshaping the mindset of the masses. Africa State of Mind. One of the quotes that is often attributed to the first democratic president of South Africa is President Nelson Mandela, may his soul rest in peace, is it always seems impossible until it's done. My guest on today's episode of Africa State of Mind best epitomizes that. I mean, how do you find out about a sport and start learning it essentially four months? That's 100 days before the Winter Olympics and become the first Nigerian to qualify for the Winter Olympics. I did say Nigerian and Winter Olympics in the same sentence and probably the first African female athlete to compete in that particular discipline. This after you haven't competed at high level sports for essentially 10 years. This after when you did want to uh, to apply, you seem to be a year over than the stipulated number age that was that was put before you. This Canadian-born 100% Niger babe is a four-time All-American at the University of Kentucky, and though she played many sports, her passion was always track and field. In 2004 and 2008, after trying out for the Olympic teams and just missing out, she decided to retire and put sports behind her in that particular way. Ten years later, she joined the Winter Olympics. And I mentioned she's Nigerian, right? I'm going to keep saying it because we all know Niger and sport does, and, and snow sorry, does not seem to be in the same sentence. She is so Niger that she walks out with her Fulani braids, her board is kitted out with a logo that represents Africa, and she plays David O before a race in her beats by Dre. That's how Niger she is. Simidele Adegbo, the definition of African excellence. Welcome to Africa State of Mind. I practice your surname because like my Yoruba-ness has gone out the window. Very well done. Very well <laughs> Did I get done. your name right? I'm impressed. Yes, it's yeah, not yeah, easy yeah. to pronounce but you, you did a good job. Simidele Adegbo. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you for um, having me. No, thank you so much for joining. Mm-hmm. I'm just like so excited. I have to ask mm-hmm. you something that I read somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I just need you to confirm it if it's true, okay. just because it's, I'm curious and okay. like that. So apparently you, um, in some Nike ads, you're Serena Williams' body double. <laughs> is that a... <laughs> That is correct. That is a fact. (laughs) That is is a little known fact. And it's kind of one of my proudest moments. Um, I was kind of discovered one day when I was just minding my business. I was in a shop and I was approached and people were like, hey, we're having this photo shoot tomorrow. We're looking for someone who could be a body double for Serena for an upcoming campaign. And I was like, okay, "Uh, I'll go. And then I ended up getting the gig and I was Serena's body double. That is so crazy. <laughs> like when I read that, I thought, no, this must be a wiki lie. I'm going to keep on moving. But I thought I couldn't like I couldn't get past it. So I tried to articulate how Nigerian you are, because there's yes. always this thing, you know, with regards to people from Nigeria or the continent. If you were born somewhere else, people are like, eh, but you're not really fully in that whole thing. Right. Yeah. So I need you to define how Nigeria you are by, first of all, talking about your favorite food. And it cannot be jollof rice because <laughs> oh, then you, you'll fail this test. OK, because everybody knows jollof everyone says, rice. Everyone right? knows jollof rice. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. It is one of my favorites. Yeah. I enjoy moi moi as well. Moi, okay, now I know you're gay. Yes, yeah. and I enjoy something called inyong, pounded yam. So anybody oh, okay. listening that's Nigerian mm. knows it. And where I'm from in Nigeria, Ekiti State, we are known for our inyong mm. because we pound it fresh. Mm. Fresh pounded yam. It's so delicious. Yeah. 
Yes, you should try it if you haven't. And I believe that if you have a lot of yam, you'll have twins, but that's a whole other... That's another conversation. <laughs> that's another conversation altogether. Yes. <laughs> so now, let's talk about just you growing up, you know, um, mm-hmm. within your family. Were there other people who were kind of sporty in your family? Did you come from that sort of family, or was it fully academic, which seems to yeah. be the case for most African families? Well, it's interesting, because my family is kind of a blend of both. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my parents claim to be athletes, even though no one's ever seen evidence of this, but they both claim that they ran and they played netball and all of these things growing up. And then all of my siblings were all athletes. We competed at a high level um, in the U.S. on the collegiate stage. Mm -hmm. So we all ran track and field. We did different sports growing up, field hockey, soccer, everything, etc. But that could not come at the expense of academics. My parents were not having it. Yeah. I mean, to the point where I was on the verge of being kicked off several teams um, by my parents, not because, you know, the coach wanted to kick me mm-hmm. off or I had done something wrong, but because my academics were not up to par. Um, with what your parents wanted. With what their standards. I mean, I... Which is A++. <laughs> yes. yes. So I was on the verge. I had to <coughs> beg sometimes to go to practice. Mm. Um, if my grades weren't right, I wasn't playing sports. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then now, how do your parents feel about your career? Well, uh, they're very supportive. <coughs> um, they've always been supportive. And I, I really appreciate that. Because mm-hmm. I know culturally, it's not always the case, you know, because... Yeah. As you said, Nigerian parents don't play when it mm-hmm. comes to academics and they expect kind of a certain level of excellence. Um, but my parents have always been really supportive of as long as my grades are right, they wanted me to play sport. And then now as a woman mm. in a career, they're supportive of whatever I do, um, however I want to do it, yeah. so, which is great. So now let's also just talk a little bit about, um, I think it was your 2004 and 2008 attempt to join the Olympic team and mm-hmm. you just missed out on that. That's right. And then you ended up retiring, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's such a story in there for people in general, just with regards to dealing with, I, I don't want to say failure, but yeah. dealing with like, you know, missed opportunity, well, you know, with disappointment is possibly the better word, yes. you know, and then being able to pick yourself up again 10 years later mm-hmm. to fulfill a dream, even though it was you, you had always wanted to compete in the Olympics, yes. but I don't think you ever thought it was winter Olympics. No. And I know you definitely didn't <laughs> think it was skeleton. You didn't think any of that. So yes. just like that kind of story and what you hope people are able to pick up from that. Yes. So disappointment, I think, is an accurate way to characterize my two failed attempts at the Olympics. Mm. Um, At that time, I was trying to compete for the U.S. team. And Mm. um, anyone that knows track and field knows that the U.S. has a very strong team. It's very difficult to make the Olympic team. In fact, I've heard a statistic that you have a better shot at getting struck by lightning than making the U.S. track and field team. So it's really, really difficult. But I came Mm. very, very close. Mm. And of course, it was heartbreaking when I didn't make it particularly in 2008, because Mm -hmm. 2008 was when I felt the most ready. Mm -hmm. I had relocated, trained with a coach that was an Olympic gold medalist, and I thought this was my time. Mm -hmm. And when I didn't make it, I was just completely destroyed, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to pick myself back up. And one thing that I felt good about was that I gave it my all. And I think that's anything in life. When you give something your all, even though you're disappointed, I think when you pick yourself up, you can hold your head high and know Mm -hmm. that you you couldn't have done anything more. So when I made the decision to move on, you know, I moved on to other aspects of my life, my career. Within this 10 years is when I relocated to South Africa. And so life was just, you know, moving along. along. Um, But I think the lesson here for people is after disappointments, sometimes 
sometimes that same dream can come around again, but completely reimagined. And that's essentially what happened to me. So um, as you said, I always wanted to be an Olympian. I had no idea Winter Olympics would be part of that story. Um, That was not what I originally imagined. Um, But when the opportunity came around, I was open to it. Mm -hmm. I felt that, wow, not only could this be a way for me to achieve that dream that I always had, but the the biggest thing was how this could really be a significant thing for the continent Mm -hmm. of Africa in terms of representation. And so 10 years had passed, but that fire um, from being an athlete was still burning within me. Um, And I didn't even actually realize how much I missed, you know, being a competitive athlete until I started kind of that journey to the Winter Olympics. And so it was just natural. And I was able to just pick it up from where I left off from track. That's incredible. The lessons that I, you know, Mm. I had over that time of competing at a high level on track, I just, you know, transferred over to skeleton and, I don't want to say it was seamless because that makes it sound easy, but I think what was seamless was that innate desire and that hunger to be great. Mm -hmm. And so I just took that and started the process and was able to make my goal. I think what's also interesting about you going into skeleton, and you're going to explain that to everything, because I know a lot of Africans are like, "Eh, why is skeleton again? (laughs) It's like, what exactly is that? But it's like, um, I also, you know, I understand that, so initially when you decided you wanted to go back into the sporting arena, then you mm-hmm. thought about the Winter Olympics, you actually hit up the Nigerian bobsled team, the ladies who are part of the bobsled team, right? Yes. And of course, like we all remember cool runnings as, <laughs> you know, so it's like that was what the initial plan was. But then yes. there was another detour. Yeah, I was concerned. Definitely. So how did this conversation happen? Well, so <laughs> I was at work one day yeah. and one of my colleagues came to me and said, oh, have you seen this video? And it was this video. It actually went viral. So quite a few people have seen it of the Nigerian bobsled team kind of dancing. They were in green and white uniforms. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, apparently Nigeria has a bobsled team. And I said, what? I, like I, cool I had no idea yeah. at the time. And so that was my first time hearing about Mm. it. And something just clicked in my mind to say, you know what, I should look into that. Mm. Because I had heard of track and field athletes moving into bobsled. So that didn't seem crazy to me because there is kind of a precedent for that. Um, And I know people who've done it. So I decided to reach out and just say, hey, do you have a spot on the team? Are you, you know, looking for Wait, how did you reach out? Please, you have to tell the story properly. (laughs) The gram is so good, you know. (laughs) I slid into the DM. I slid all the way in there as far as I could because, you know, that's the way you get a hold of people these days. Yeah. And so I slid into the DMs and started just asking questions. And I knew nothing about bobsled. I just knew there were three of them. And in my mind... From the movie from Cool, cool Runnings. Runnings yeah. There's four people. Like, there's four people. Why? So yeah. I must be the fourth one. Yeah. You know, I it's thought. Like they've been okay. waiting for me. <laughs> they've been waiting. Um, and then they quickly <laughs> corrected me and told me, unfortunately, in the sport for women, it's still only two. Yeah. There is a fight going to see if it can be expanded. Mm. But currently, women's bobsled only has two people in the yeah. sled. So they told me, in fact, we are good and we actually have an alternate. <laughs> so we're all the way good. But thank you for sliding like, into thanks, our no um, but I kind of loosely kept in touch with the ladies I, mm-hmm. of course I was a fan I contributed to the GoFundMe oh, nice. I wanted to see them succeed <clears throat> fast forward about six seven months and on the gram again I saw a post saying that they were going to have a tryout in Houston Texas uh, for the bobsled team and I thought 
Was okay. it for the Nigerian bobsled team? For the Nigerian yes. bobsled team, mm-hmm. yes. And I thought, okay, maybe this is my chance. You know, I, I thought maybe a spot is up for grabs. Maybe I just need to go there and prove myself. Mind you, I'm still happily in retirement. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just a, a regular gym goer, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not anything on a high level. But when I saw that post two weeks before um, it actually was happening, I decided, okay, I'm going to go and I have to figure out a way to get myself in enough shape to show up and wow. do something reasonable at this tryout in two weeks time. Mm. So I bought my ticket from Joburg to Houston and then I showed up at the tryouts for the weekend um, and then flew back to, to Joburg. Um, but the, the tryouts <laughs> went well and mm. I was invited back to a team camp that was about uh, three or four weeks later. Mm. And it was there that I actually discovered skeleton. So I think this is another kind of lesson in my story where I was open to kind of, again, mm. reimagining what that could look like. At first, I thought bobsled would be the answer to, you know, my Olympic dream. Um, but the more kind of I spent time and we were at the camp, um, the girls already had their team in place. There were three of them. They had been training since the year before. And it's really hard to kind of make a quick change yeah. like that. So it, it just wasn't the right timing for me to integrate into the team. Mm. But while I was at the camp, somebody told me about skeleton. Mm. And like most people, I was like, what? Yeah. Ske- when, you, when I hear skeleton, skeleton, I think of other things. <laughs> they need to rebrand skeleton because yeah. it's not a good look. The yeah. name, nothing. It's- nothing about it sounds amazing. Yeah. So when I discovered skeleton, I, like most people, was like, okay, what do you do? You lie on your tummy and you go head first, you know, and you're you're not covered by anything. It looks very scary. Yeah. And you're going at speeds of 120 kilometers Crazy. an hour. Um, and it, it looks very scary. So... Um, after I got over the initial shock, what kind of... Of like <laughs> going head first into a tunnel? Bas- well, into... Basically. Just basically. imagine a frozen water slide. That's what I tell people. So a water slide, you know, has many twists and turns. Mm-hmm. But this water slide's uh, about a kilometer long. That's crazy. Um, and you're going much faster. And so after I kind of like got over the initial shock of how scary the sport looked, what I found out was that actually no African woman had ever gone to the Olympics in this sport. And so in terms of making history, I still had an opportunity to do that. Mm. Um, So we had bobsled covered by my teammates. Check. Now, how was I going to come to the party in skeleton? And that was the opportunity that I saw. And that's where I felt like I could use my gifts and talents to, you know, take sport further on the continent. But now there's another part of the story as well. I believe that the initial fly or something posted was on Instagram. You had to be between a certain age and the cutoff age was 35. Mm -hmm. And you were 36 when you qualified. Well, Once I saw that post, I had just turned 36 like two weeks before that. (laughs) So you're like, like, oh my gosh. So, but um, I was quite surprised by that actually because I was not aware of anything in sport that capped your age. Mm. Um, I think there are some sports, like I think gymnastics, where you have to have a minimum age. Mm. Um, But I've never seen anything in sport where they cap your age. So I did some research and I was like, this doesn't seem reasonable. Mm. Um, But I just thought, okay well they have their age thing I'm gonna show up anyway and I'm gonna let them tell me no when I get to Houston um because I'm two weeks too old um (laughs) but fortunately that didn't happen and I just took that chance Mm. and you know I felt you know age especially in sport is irrelevant Mm. age color gender sport measures performance you're either fast or you're not 
Mm-hmm. You know, it shows you your time. It doesn't say, oh, but you're 36 years old, you know. So mm-hmm. I just thought it was irrelevant and I showed up anyways. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I like the way that you say that because I feel that that's even just a global, like a broader story within Africa where we, if you're a woman and age and everything, there's all of these like ideas of how your life should be imagined. So I just love everything about just your career, like how we've shared so far, it just like reimagines everything, like all the possibilities totally, you know. So now let's just talk a little bit about um, because, you know, just to understand. So you that you went to Houston to um, to try out for this particular team and Mm -hmm. it was for the Nigerian team. And this brings me to a point that I feel is so important when it comes to the sporting world in general. And that's resources within Africa. Mm -hmm. Right. So how does it? end up and you mentioned about how the bobsled team you know you helped they got go fund me and so forth mm-hmm. do you feel that enough is being invested in general i mean you know or from your perspective with regards to um african countries when it comes to investing in sporting disciplines because yeah. both of the you know it's like in both cases it's this is happening outside of nigeria yeah and these are phenomenal nigerian athletes i mean you can look at anthony joshua for example there's so many examples Mm -hmm. so do you feel that enough is being put into the talent that we have in the continent yeah um unfortunately not Mm. i think that there's still a lot of investment that needs to go into sports um the sports industry in general i feel like is very underdeveloped on the continent Mm. i think we have our bright you know spots here and there where you see teams that are doing well but Mm -hmm. What we're lacking is infrastructure. What we're lacking is transparency and overall just top to bottom development Mm -hmm. from the grassroots level all the way up to the Olympic elite level. Mm -hmm. Um, Why we were in Houston in particular is because the founder of our federation, so she's the driver as well of the bobsled, uh, Sean Adegun, she is based in Houston. So it was just easier at the time to to just do it from there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are looking uh, this year to have tryouts as Mm -hmm. well in Nigeria because we don't want this to become something yeah. that's only of the diaspora. Only if you can go to Yankee. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so we want, you know, ath- yeah. athletes who are based in you know, Nigeria to be able to participate yeah. as well. But at the time, uh, that was the best that we could do. Uh, one thing that I think is unique about kind of the story of the Bobsled and Skeleton Federation of Nigeria is that a lot of it was done kind of Um, it was self-driven. It was Mm. built by athletes for athletes. So Mm. uh, the athletes that were involved, our founders, myself, and the initial four ladies, we were very proactive in having to build it ourselves, going after sponsors, promoting ourselves, you know, creating that energy, telling our story on the global stage. Mm. Um, That was all self-driven. We didn't wait for the government or anybody else to do it for us. So I think that is a good kind of best practice. Um, Unfortunately, you're not always going to be able to depend on, you know, the government or anyone Mm. else. So I think there needs to be more athletes, more people who are willing to build it themselves. Mm. And I also think that, you know, as you're speaking, you keep on speaking about yourself and then the other lady was a she. I also Mm. am so fascinated by the fact that this was driven by women. Yes. You know, which is also just incredible. Yes, 100%. Four women who made history together. Definitely. Now, also, let's talk a little bit about the, um, just with regards to representation right because we we made like a joke and everything and i'm sure it's a joke that you get a lot and it's like it's like nothing you should have been like lee please everybody says that you know <laughs> and i'm sure that also the nigerian bobsled team they get that a lot with regards to cool runnings you know yeah and when i think of that the reason why i think it's so powerful is because 
representation is just so important. Mm-hmm. It really is because to, to date, prior to you guys, you know, you and Skeleton and then the, the ladies in bobsled, that's all people would think about when they would think about, you know, black people taking part in the Winter Olympics and everything. Mm-hmm. That's all people would think about. And that movie is like, what, 20 something years old? 30 years old. 30 years old. Year, and it yeah. still sticks in people's minds. It's mm-hmm. transcended generations, right? Yes. So like now, for example, I'm, from what I understand that with the Winter Olympics, only 7% of, only 7% of it is represented by Africans, mm-hmm. right? The Winter Olympics. Yes. And I mean, one could say that that's got a lot to do with the fact that, look, when it comes to calls, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Like, it's not my matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what do you think, um, you know, in terms of just people thinking differently about the Winter Olympics and how it can be a benefit towards, um, towards African youth in general, right? Yes. And then also, I know that you're also really passionate about now us winning medals, not just competing. Yes, yes. But you have to start from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it was historic how many African nations were at last year's Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with 7% of the population being from Africa. We had Kenya there, Togo represented, nice. you know, uh, it was a good look. Did you guys have a party together? Uh, we should have. <laughs> Everybody was all over the place. And I recently yeah. actually, um, last week, week I met um, the Kenyan um, alpine skier yes. uh, Sabrina Sameter, yes. uh, which was awesome. So I think we took a great first step by mm. making history by having so many African countries there. Mm. Um, I, there's barriers. That yeah. is clear. Mm. The facilities aren't in place. Where, where are we going to go and find a skeleton track yeah. on the continent? It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's very expensive, winter sports, all the gear, all the travel. So that's also another barrier. So financially, there's barriers. Then environmentally, we don't have the climates to support that training. But I think what the journey that myself and my teammates took, as well as the other African athletes that were represented in Pyeongchang, mm. is saying that we can still get through and break those barriers and still show up. We can still make a way. And I hope that that kind of um, story and that inspiration point showed people that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. So now it's really about the next phase of this, which is going there and winning medals. I think, you know, we are all happy to make history, but I think African athletes do have the potential to actually, you know, dominate on the world stage. Definitely. One thing that is for sure is that Africa has a very rich resource of talent. I mean, you look at how well we perform at the Summer Olympics, the athletic prowess that exists on this continent, I think, is unmatched. Mm. So how we take those skills, that skill set, and translate it into winter sport, I think, is a process, but it's a doable one. And that's why I'm looking forward to 2022, showing the world what's possible. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm actually going to, when when you're competing in Beijing, I'm going to be like... Listen, I know her. <laughs> Please respect yourself. <laughs> That's my person. But you, you know, when you speak about um, about African um, about Africa having a rich resource with regards to talent, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that kind of like unnerves me, and I, it didn't actually click until you were speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Like so often, I across different sporting disciplines, when I see people, and then you like read up that they're actually of African heritage, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're like now representing another country. That hurts me like to the core mm-hmm. on one hand because I'm like like what you're saying like we have the resource and we have the talent mm-hmm. but on the other hand you can't actually fault the athlete 
Yeah. Because whoever's going to support their career and it all comes down to money is like a huge thing, right? Mm-hmm. I Definitely. almost feel, in my mind, I almost feel like there needs to be some sort of like policy or something in place, you know, to ensure that we're able to support and retain ath- African athletes as a whole within the continent. Yeah. I mean, it's not unique to sports. Mm-hmm. There is a brain drain across the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, I came across some stats in terms of how many doctors of Nigerian descent exist outside of Nigeria versus in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And if you had those doctors in Nigeria, how would the healthcare world be different? Mm-hmm. So this idea of a brain drain and an export of talent exists in different sectors Um, but for sport in particular I think this was a hot topic last year when uh, the World Cup came about and we saw the French team the French team team. I was like listen we know your villagers hey is this a (laughs) French team or is this an African team you know so you know everybody was like (laughs) Africa won the World Cup Exactly. So, and you, if you look across some of the major um, top leagues in the yeah. U.S., NBA, yeah. NFL, you see people of African descent. Mm. Um, so I, I can understand why people make the choices that they make. Mm. Um, I myself was trying it out for the U.S. team in my track days. But I think there is kind of this idea of this year of return that's mm. been, you know, 400 years, I think, post-slavery, a lot of people have been coming back to Mm. the continent. They feel led to do that. Mm. They feel led to be part of the building of the continent. Mm. Um, So I think everybody has to make whatever choice is right for them. But um, there is a pride. You know, when I put on my Nigerian uniform, I feel proud that I am representing the green and white um, and I'm doing something that's moving the continent forward. Um, But uh, I think we also have to build infrastructures that you know, welcome people back so that people aren't going broke and hungry Mm -hmm. when they are representing our countries Mm -hmm. and people aren't dealing with things like, you know, they get to the Olympics and they don't have uniforms or, you know, just basic. And these are real stories. They're not hypotheticals that you're talking about. Right. Because there are teams and stuff that we can call out. We won't mention where we've heard of how teams get there. They don't have their uniforms. They don't have hotels. They sleep on the floor. It's quite, it's quite an embarrassing situation for the continent. Exactly. So, and this needs to stop. Mm -hmm. We need to have the the right accountability, the right transparency, the right leadership so that, you know, you don't get to the Olympics and you don't have the basic needs. Mm -hmm. And so then you understand why people, if you have a UK passport, why you wouldn't compete for, you know, the UK because they have hotels, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, basics. I mean, and, you know, there's also a lot of talk uh, in general with regards to, let me say, with um, entertainment slash music industry and how that's changing a lot of people's lives um, Mm -hmm. within the continent. And I would say specifically in Nigeria, you know, Mm. the entire industries and all of that they've Mm. been built, the huge names and so forth. Would you say the same thing with regards to the sporting fraternity in Africa? Do you think it's something that we're missing out on where there's a possibility for economic growth and growth in general from that perspective? Mm. You know, do you feel that it's something that perhaps African leadership is overlooking? Because when we talk about employment, we talk about the industrial revolution, sorry, we speak about all that. Mm -hmm. Sports is not really kind of made a priority as you know we all like people enjoy watching soccer mm-hmm. but do they invest in it say for example so mm-hmm. do you feel that it's an op- it's a missed opportunity us not investing in um african sporting talents it's very missed um and i was reading uh, an article that i came across and it was talking about sports throughout the world in some of the most developed markets like europe and the u.s and how jobs are being created you know these 
these uh, sectors are growing faster than some economies, uh, top economies in the world. And so there is a commercialization of sport that I think Africa is just has a blind spot to. Mm. I think we have our moments, a World Cup, we'll cheer and then it dies down. But it's a serious sector that mm-hmm. can create jobs, that can create economic potential on the continent. And I think our governments right now are just not focused on that. Mm-hmm. Understandably so in some ways, because we have other serious issues in terms of like, you know, youth unemployment Mm -hmm. and getting our health care systems right. Um, But I definitely think there is space for growth Mm -hmm. um, and it needs to be developed um, and we need to look at that. Definitely. And then now also just um, for you personally, right? Because I know that there's a Nike ad that you did, (laughs) which is such a dope ad, by the way. Uh, It's one of my favorites. I know I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) It's an amazing ad, you know, and you're also the marketing manager for Nike South Africa. Yes, uh, former now. Former. Uh, I recently left just a few months ago, but actually when the ad um, was made, I was still there and uh, it was quite interesting to be still working on the team and then the subject now of this major like campaign yeah. which was really awesome that's really incredible <laughs> so now um for you like so 2020 is coming up and that's obviously where you're setting your sights i don't mm. want to say that i mean i have to tell this funny story when i called you the one day i was like simi we really need to interview you and i'm talking to you on the phone and i'm just like what is she doing and she's like she's running on the treadmill but i'm not joking like you were running like you know when you can hear people and like they're running fast and you're having a full on conversation like you're not out of breath you're just talking normally <laughs> and I'm just like sitting there thinking <laughs> Lee what's happening with your life you have no focus at all because you're just like literally so just the training that goes into it right because yes. you I could already hear that your level of fitness was on another level you're like I wasn't really going at a very fast pace I'm just like girl you were running fast <laughs> You know, just the level of tr- of of um training that goes into um the skeleton discipline because mm-hmm. I know it's like a hundred. You go your speed is a hundred and twenty kilometers, right? Yes, that's how fast you go down the. Yes, yeah. The, the do you understand track. how fast that is? Yeah, I regularly go slower on the M1. So whenever I'm on the skeleton, <laughs> I feel like I'm going too slow on the the M1 freeway. You know, <laughs> moving crazy. faster than cars. Yes, it's very quick, very fast. She moves faster than cars on her tummy, going down a water slide, essentially, which is all ice, head first. Exactly. (laughs) And the final question that I did want to ask you is that I know that you're very um, detailed when it comes to just the way you look, right? Mm. So with your Fulani braids, I love the story of that, you know, just your Fulani braids and with your 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 board as well. Yes, you're yeah. very particular with regards to how it is that it's designed, and then yes. your your Niger Nike that was customized. Just talk to us a little bit about why you feel that representation is so important. Because I thought it was just such a powerful story that we could possibly end off with. Definitely. Um, for me, uh, this whole journey has been about shifting shifting the narrative, mm-hmm. shifting the narrative of what people have come to expect from Africa. So I always saw my time kind of in the spotlight um, on the Olympic stage as an opportunity to showcase African excellence. Mm. Uh, That started from head to toe. So from the beauty that we see um, in braids, like that sounds like a very simple thing, um, but I wanted to show the beauty and the the just extravagance of what it means to be an African woman. Um, And so Fulani braids, which uh, come from Nigeria, you know, uh, Mm. are a great look. I think they're cute. Um, And they also tell the deeper story of 
of the African woman. And I also wear beads on them, Mm -hmm. um, specifically because growing up, um, I was a big fan of Venus and Serena Williams. Um, In fact, I thought I I might join them. (laughs) But, you know, the the tennis wasn't on the Nigerian uh, parents' budget. Um, So tennis didn't work out. But they were blazing a trail even from back then. I mean, now we see a lot more black tennis players. But Mm -hmm. back then, they were like the only ones. And mm-hmm. when they first came out, they had those iconic beads that they used to wear in their hair. So I wanted to kind of pay homage to that in some way. Um, and so I always wear green and white beads when For I'm competing. For your Nigerianess. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I think it's really important when uh, we are able to, to use our platforms and our influence um, to shift the narrative around Africa so mm-hmm. that we're showing and showcasing the best of Africa and what it means to be, in my case, African woman, yeah. modern, you know, yeah. smart, and, you know, just that we are, you know, doing great things. Yeah. yeah. No, I really love that. So here's, here's my challenge to myself. We're 2022. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start training with you. Because okay. I figure, if, you know, I figure I'm going to start training with you as of next, next month. <laughs> And then we'll compete together. No, I'm just kidding. But jokes aside to me, it's been really awesome just talking to you. I just like, I feel like your story is just like, it's just filled with so many impossibilities and barriers that were broken. And you really have just, yeah, it's like the work that you've done is incredible. So we're all going to be waving like... You know, when you go down, we'll all be Niger for the day that you're going down the yes, tracks. Yes, we girl. are all Niger. Niger, definitely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank That's you for Sydney, having me. Africa's state of mind. Head to lifepodcasts.fm to find out more on the positive changes people are making on the continent in Africa state of mind. Subscribe to this podcast at lifepodcasts.fm or on your favorite podcast app. Subscribing to a live podcast is free.